Welcome to Pardon the Intermission, a podcast that takes a look at movies, TV, and all things entertainment from the past, the present, and the future. Remember to subscribe and like the podcast and give a review. This helps out the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Now on to the show. Yes, hey everyone, welcome to Pardon the Intermission, and Ow. I am Eric. And I am Jason. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I thought maybe you forgot there for a minute who you were. I was just, no, I seriously freaked you out, though, didn't I? I was getting ready to jump in. I'm like, you're, uh, oh, wait, who are you? Uh, uh, Jason, Jason. I, held, I held you in suspense there for a second, didn't I? Good, it worked. Making sure I'm awake. You're just trying to make sure I'm awake here. It's a, yeah, it's all good. And then I'm engaged in the show, as always yeah. I am. Hey, have I'm, a, I'm engaged, too, man. <laughs> we have a, a great geeked. show here. We're I'm both uh, engaged. Yep. Picard, by the way. Ooh. Yeah. yeah I'll Speaking be wa- of engagement. I'll be watching uh, the latest episode after I'm done recording this episode <laughs> right now. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, speaking of, of episodes, um, yeah. last week, when I, w- I wouldn't say, uh, last couple of episodes we were talking about, I was giving a Mandalorian review. Mandalorian had just came out the first show. Yeah. Uh, first episode of the new season, season three. Right. And uh, you had not seen it yet. Correct. But you have at this point, you've seen episode one and two because we have two episodes now out. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And yep. what did you think of the uh, Mando Man? I am still on the fence okay. about Din Djarin, a.k.a. the Mandalorian, and mm. ultimately where this third season is going. So I'm not saying that the first two episodes of season three have been bad. They haven't. What I like about them is that they're starting to establish a lot of Mando's beliefs in the Mandalorian faith, for Mm. lack of a better term. Uh, I won't tell you for the sake of spoilers here why. Oh, tell us. Okay, okay fine. Well, okay, if you guys don't want to hear spoilers, turn it off for the next few seconds. Right. Earmuffs, folks. So, okay. So in the first episode, uh, we know that uh, Mando and Grogu go to see uh, Bo-Katan, who mm-hmm. is kind of ruling her own little planet. It starts off with Mando wanting to explore... Um, uh, not wanting to explore, but trying to find a way to redeem his Mandalorian uh, roots. Because if you recall, in the previous season, he took off his helmet. Yeah. And in the Mandalorian faith, if you take off your helmet, that's akin to uh, two Catholic people divorcing. Mm. I mean, that's just like something that can not be forgiven and cannot be forgotten. We thought. <clears throat> right. So Until he he came to, I can't, oh, here we are again. I'm back at the same the same uh, character that does all the, that creates all the armor, and he was talking to her. Right. And he said, uh, but I can go to the waters of the uh, mines of Mandalore, right? Right, exactly. And, and, and uh, uh, baptize myself, and then I will be basically be forgiven. And she said, "You know, this is the way." And so, yeah, exactly. And so then, in the second episode, um, <clears throat> he goes to Mandalore and goes to the caves of, goes into the mines of Mandalore. No, not the mines of Mordor, Lord it, of the Rings. It's a destroyed fans. planet. I mean, the, yeah. the planet is completely destroyed because they had a, they had a huge war there, and at, and they were told that it was inhabitable. Right. Exactly. That they couldn't. It was all poisoned. The air mm-hmm. was all poisoned, and everything. Yeah, exactly. And so he goes there basically to dispel the notion that this is a cursed planet. And ding, 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 lo and behold, he finds out that it's not. So um, anyway, yeah, he goes down and in 
going deep into the caves of Mandalore where he finds out there's a lot of surprises down there for him and not good mm-hmm. surprises. And so the episode barely ends with him uh, apparently bathing himself or submersing himself in these so-called holy waters, I guess. I don't remember what they were called. But, um, you know, the episode kind of ends with Bo-Katan rescuing him after he falls in, goes all the way down, falls down this big, deep trench. And uh, she goes down, jumps in the water, rescues him. And then as she brings him back up, uh, she finds out that uh, Mando is going to continue his quest to redeem his faith and uh, redeem himself, but without Bo and without Grogu. And so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of right now... The series is is establishing the basis of his belief of being a Mandalorian, but I'm still not sure where the end game with this season mm. is going to be. And so, because I think I really got excited when he appeared in the last three episodes of the book of the Mandalorian. I mean, the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got really geeked about that. And I think that's why my expectations kind of uh, simmered a little bit with these first two episodes. Mm. Well, yeah, because they're not um, they're they're not what we're used to. Right, right, necessarily. Exactly. I mean, it's more. I mean, it does. Listen, The Mandalorian did have some slow episodes uh, in the even in the first two seasons. Right, but yeah, this one again is kind of starting off a little slow. I mean, they did have some action in the beginning, yep. uh, to get you hooked in, but a little slow. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that it was really interesting. Um, you know, in the second episode, uh, I, now I say slow, but there was some action, a lot of action in here too, because uh, second episode you had. Well, you're saying that that uh, Bo-Katan had to re- rescue him, but that was yeah. the second time she rescued him. Yes, the it was. first time he came across some mechanical, half mechanical, half human, or half humanoid creature that was basically had entrapped him, and he told Grogu to mm-hmm. go get the uh, to go get Bo-Katan. She was just on on a, a planet that was right. close by, right? Uh, to help, so he had to go and get her in the spaceship, go, and then she came back. Right. Here was was an interesting thing though. When he was in that cage, he's entrapped in this cage, and all of a sudden, you know, the 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 uh, creature throws out his gun and throws out the dark saber. And I thought, ah, this makes sense. This is when she gets the dark saber, and she now has she has it right, right. But it was interesting mm-hmm. because she did get the dark saber. And if you guys want to see an awesome action scene, oh, she right. no kidding, the way she wielded that dark saber, defeating this creature. Mm-hmm. Was amazing. I yes. mean, that was that that battle. I mean, I, I had to watch that a couple of times. That was completely unbelievable. Well, right? Yeah. Not only that, but if you recall, when Mando gets down into the caves, he has to wield the dark saber to defend himself against those uh, cave creatures. Yeah. I forgot what they were called, but he had a really cool battle scene with them involving the dark saber. True. Too. True. But you know, he, he. But the funny thing was, is that when you see him wield it, he doesn't know what the heck he's doing, and it's right. purposeful because he's never had this thing. I'm like, come on, dude, you're right. not training with that thing. You got to start training with that thing. She picks this thing up, and she's, I mean, you could tell she's an expert uh, sword wielder. I mean, she yep. knows how to use the thing. She was amazing. It yep. was amazing the way she was. I was, whoa, I, was, I couldn't believe it. Yep. But I thought, okay, th- this is the point where there doesn't have to be a battle between them that she gets possession of it and she gets to keep it. But yep. that wasn't what. She fought this thing, mm-hmm. saved Mando, and gave it back to him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, Mando had earned the right to uh, keep the Darksaber when he uh, fought Moff Gideon in uh, episode or in season two. Yeah. And originally in the Clone Wars, Bo-Katan was the one who 
wielded the dark saber. She was the owner of the dark saber. So uh, it all it only makes sense that here in the Mandalorian, she's able to take that puppy and wield that bad boy. And well, see, and now I don't know the rules, so that mm-hmm. if if he she has to like literally take it from him, not just like be in possession of it. Then I guess right. Uh, yes. So whoever fights the owner of the dark so saber, she, she would have to fight him and act and literally win to get that saber. Yes, exactly. It's not like, oh, it was sitting there, he lost it, and now I, I have possession of it. Type right, of yeah. Okay. You actually have to fight the owner of the Darksaber in order to wield the Darksaber. Okay. So, yeah, it's kind of like uh, one ring that rules them all. The See, ring I, I chooses, thought maybe you know. it was a way that they could kind of give her the saber, and mm-hmm. because I thought maybe that's where the season's going, where she's going to, because obviously could it be. shows her in her kingdom, and she says that everybody has basically abandoned her. Right, right. Like, you know, because there's different, I mean, as, as you guys probably know, with, with the Mandalorian, there's different sects there's yeah. some that are more uh religious right and more true to the to the um, um uh what do you want to say here the rituals of mandalore and then there's others who are just more loose where they have like bo-katan she takes her helmet off all the time she's not like she's not held to those type of standards right right, right exactly here's the other thing too is very interesting she was talking about and i was wondering where this season's going because she was talking about her dad and when she was talking about her dad i don't know if you picked up on it but mm-hmm. when she was watching the Mandalorian, she was, you could kind of tell that I think she says, she even says, I think that he reminds me of you. So it's almost like, because like her, the the Mandalorian reminds, so I'm wondering, hmm, maybe there is going to be some bringing back of the planet of Mandalore. You know, he might be the one to be able to do that, you know, to kind of tie all these different, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, areas of Mandalore of all these different cultures, you know, of the Mandalorian into one, one group again. Oh, potentially you know? could be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you never know. It's hard the, to tell. The other big thing that came out of this and we'll, we'll move on after this. The other big thing is that, uh, Bogotan does say, uh, was talking to Grogu and says, uh, yep. your daddy. So right. obviously now we know that grow or that, uh, the Mandalorian is Grogu's daddy. daddy. He, who's yeah. your daddy? Who's, who's your, your daddy? daddy? It's who's, the Mandalorian. Who's your daddy, Grogu. Yeah. And I must say just to kind of put an exclamation point on this, uh, uh, on the on the Mandalorian, we're now starting to see Grogu get all Yoda Star Wars oh, Episode yeah. Two style, you know, like for example, doing that fancy little jump out of his little baby pod, yeah, yeah, and uh, using the Force to shove back one of those uh, troll creatures, one of those creatures, one yeah, of those yeah, mind creatures I told you about. So we're now starting to see a little bit more cute involvement out of Grogu, and I kind of like that. You know? <laughs> I'm waiting for him to get his lightsaber, man. That's what I want. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, yeah. Because he's still kind of a Jedi, right? Or is he close? Uh, he's he, not, didn't, he didn't finish his training, but he, he's... He totally stuck a lightsaber up, Mark, up Luke Skywalker's, you know what, basically said, uh-uh, forget this, I'm going with the Mandalorian. <laughs> I'm going so with no, the Mando, so yeah, so maybe yeah. Nah, he turned his back. That's so. true, I guess, yeah. But hey, anyway, uh, there's a story here uh, about uh, uh, Shake-Up in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Um. Do you know anything about this? What's going on here? Oh, yeah. Let me go ahead and uh, pull up the story. So, yeah, this uh, shakeup in the Star Wars universe is interesting because, again, this is kind of like another one of those stories where you have so many different moving parts involved in it. So what it involves is... Um, it involves ex- Kevin... Kevin. Uh, it involves Kevin Feige. Kevin um, Feige, Patty Jenkins, and uh, Taika... Taika Waititi. Waititi. Yes. yes. Now, for those of you who don't know who Patty Jenkins is, she did a great job directing the first Wonder Woman film, but she stunk it up with Wonder Woman 1984. We're not going to give her credit mm, for that. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, apparently what's going on here, getting to the uh, story I'm referencing, is that... Um, uh, so it looks like in December of 2020, 
Uh, Lucasfilm chief Kathleen Kennedy announced that Patty Jenkins would direct the next Star Wars movie, uh, the one-off adventure called Rogue Squadron. But in September 2022, Disney pulled the title from its scheduled December 2023 release. And then sources with knowledge of the production say that it is no longer in active development wow. at the studio. Now, a rep for Lucasfilm did not respond to that request for comment back in December. And then Patty Jenkins came out with a subsequent statement that said she was still developing Rogue Squadron. But she said, quote, I don't know if it will happen or not. Meanwhile, <laughs> this gets better, folks. Yeah. Variety Magazine has learned that a possible Star Wars feature produced by Marvel Studios chief Kevin Feige is also no longer in active development at Lucasfilm. And let's see. Um, as for Ryan Johnson, the director who made um, uh, episodes, uh, who directed episode 10 uh, Star Wars Episode Ten: The Last Jedi. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he made no secret that he wants to make um, the Star Wars. I can't Wars believe this. Right? He made the Star Wars. He won. He he wants to make the Star Wars movies. He first announced in 2017 before the release of The Last Jedi. Mm. And Kathy Kennedy has been clear that Lucasfilm still wants him to, but um, his immediate priorities. Uh, include continuing his Benoit Blanc movies with Daniel Craig. He's got a Netflix. lot going on. He yeah. does. A Poker lot. face. On, yes. We've talked about that. In so now how podcasts. Taika Waititi gets roped into this is that Waititi apparently continues to work on his possible Star Wars feature, and he would most likely have a part in it as well, similar in prominence to his standout role as an imaginary Adolf Hitler in his Oscar-winning 2019 feature Jojo Rabbit, which is a brilliant movie, by the way. Whew. Really? So, Never, at, wow. yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. We'll review that it. one next time on oh, a retro flashback. Nice. So basically what this means, Eric, is we have a lot of moving parts here with a lot of creative minds, some good minds, mind you, um, going in one door and out the other. Basically what it sounds like is there are too many hens in the hen house and they're trying to get it all sorted out as to who's going to make what and when they're going to make it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and we just talked about uh, last podcast about the uh, the acolyte, right? Yep, we did. And so there's, you know, there is a lot of stuff going on over at Lucasfilms. I wonder if they're if they're backtracking just because of what has happened. Uh, it's possible that they are. And you know what? I do remember reading in some subsequent stories, especially with Kevin Feige, where everything was just basically rumor and conjecture, and that mm. Feige had come out and said he would be interested interested in quotation marks in doing a Star Wars production, but he had not hinted at um, necessarily being committed to one because obviously he's still the uh, CEO of Marvel. And um, but there have been some rumors again that uh, he would be brought on board to kind of help resuscitate the Star Wars franchise with John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Now, again, it's all conjecture and it's all rumors. Yeah. So nothing was ever etched in stone. And Taika Waititi, there have been rumors that he's wanted to be involved in a Star Wars project for a long time, too. So it's also making me wonder if Feige and Waititi and Jenkins had kind of these what what we call under-the-table agreements or under-the-table mm. conversations where they just sat down at lunch with uh, Star Wars executives and said, hey, look, I want to do this. When do I get to do this? And these people are at the zenith or at the top at the zenith of their careers right now. Feige, yeah. in Taika Waititi, and Patty Jenkins. So, um, yeah, again, it just sounds like there's a lot of different moving parts to this story, and it's just really hard to keep track of. I think what it is, they just they don't really have a clear vision of. Uh, I think they thought they did of what they wanted the Star Wars universe to be going forward, but I think yeah. with with a lot of the fan backlash, especially with some of their series that came out, uh, Boba Fett uh, and. Uh, um, Kenobi, mm -hmm. you know that they didn't land like they thought they were going to land, and um, I don't know. There might that that may 
maybe the reason for all the shakeup. You know, uh, it, it could be. Yeah. Now I don't know if uh, if Taiki, uh, Taika Waititi could actually. I mean, do you think he would be good to to direct a Star Wars movie? Yes. Do you have I, faith in him? Yeah, I do have faith in Taika Waititi, and actually, I also have faith in Kevin Feige because Kevin Feige is a diehard Star Wars fan, mm. and Taika Waititi is a diehard Star Wars fan okay. as well. Do so you think and, they would do it now? That he, yes. Now, to be honest, when the first season of The Mandalorian. Uh, he did direct one or two episodes, right? Yeah, because he did. they were doing like that. That was the whole thing. The first season, they did like a, yeah. a different director every episode. I don't know yep. if they're still. I don't think they're still doing that. Are they? No, I'm not I'm, sure. No, I don't think they are. But, but anyway, so he did do that, which it was a great yeah. episode. It yeah. was, yeah. And the reason why I think they both would do a fantastic job is because again, they are fans first and foremost. They know the canon. They mm. know the fan base, and they know how rabid and protective the fan base is of this wonderful galaxy. And I think they would stay true to that source material. Whereas with J.J. Abrams and his films, viewed it merely as a cash cow. Now, Abrams is a fan, but he did not stay true to the source material of his films. Now, he directed... Um, he directed The Force Awakens. He did not direct The Last Jedi, nor did he direct uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I Though, thought, wh- who, did then, who did? Because uh, Ryan they, Johnson directed The Last Jedi. And then, but The Rise of Skywalker, I thought J.J. Abrams was involved. Oh, maybe in he, well, as a producer. He was brought in. He brought, was No, yeah. he was brought in to fix it, remember? It was supposed to be Ryan yep. Johnson, and they got rid of him, Yeah, right? that's right. That's right, yeah. So he he was brought in and, and in a, uh, uh, to fix the movie. <laughs> well, I don't know, did he fix it? But anyway. I don't think so. You know, so. And, and, and we've talked about that before. It'd be interesting to see, man, I don't know, Ryan Johnson, man. I'm scared of that guy. I'm kind of scared and leery about that guy because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, okay, he... I don't know where he was going with because he never got to finish it, right? Right. Exactly. I don't know where he was going with uh, the Last Jedi uh, yeah, and then knows? the Rise of Skywalker. Maybe that would have been a great right. one-two punch, but oh man, I don't know. You know, I didn't. I didn't take to uh, the Last Jedi very well uh, in you, that series. You, you know, know what? Uh, it's kind of funny, Eric, because I've read some stories where the Last Jedi has actually gotten some uh, serious uh, kudos from Star Wars fans over the last few years. Mm. And especially since like Mark Hamill has come out and actually praised the film to some extent. Well, because he didn't, but he didn't like his character in that film. I mean, he came yeah. out and he kind of blasted it originally. Yeah, he did originally. But I think because it's starting to get a little bit more love, um, you know, it's starting to kind of, uh, and plus we really are finding out with other projects like with, um, knives out and glass onion, what a really good filmmaker Ryan Johnson is and yeah. that we shouldn't let just one or two films destroy what a good creative talent he is either. But, yeah. um, getting back to the source of this story though, with all of these creative hands, basically agreeing to stuff, not agreeing to stuff. Yeah. It just sounds like it's Lucasfilm kind of reshuffling the pieces on a chessboard here. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. I mean, ultimately how, it, how it, uh, how it lands, but, uh, yeah, exactly. It'd be interesting to keep a tabs on here and find out if this is also going to, um, affect their timeline for all their projects coming out. In the meantime, uh, we can look forward to Boba Fett too. Uh, no, I'm teasing. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be called the book of Boba Fett, the sequel, the conclusion, actually Boba Fett keeps his helmet on. That's what they should call right, it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hey, the guy survived the Sarlacc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Hey, anyway, you know, we actually have a little more, uh, even though it's, a uh, Kind of tied into uh, mm-hmm. Disney. We have some more Disney news here. Um, oh, boy. Goody, goody. Yeah. It says uh, Bruce Vaughn returns to Disney Imagineering as chief creative officer and yes. co-head. This is very interesting. Now, you know, over the years, it's kind of funny. Disney is kind of 
let a lot of their talent, mm-hmm. uh, especially their higher paid talent uh, and executives, go and go to other companies. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden now, uh, this Bruce Vaughn, uh, he's they want him back. They brought him back. Yeah. Um, this was very, I don't know, it's very interesting and it's very promising. What I'm wondering is this... Um, well, let, let's go into Bruce Vaughn real quick. It yeah. says uh, in the article here, and this article was from uh, Deadline. Mm-hmm. It says that uh, Bruce Vaughn uh, had a long history with Imagineering. Uh, he served two decades mm-hmm. as in leadership roles, uh, including R&D, as well as leading the entire WDI organization as chief creative executive for nine years. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's there for, I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, right. Uh, he left Disney in 2016 to become the CEO and CCO mm-hmm. of a Los Angeles-based VR firm, Dreamscape Immersive. And uh, so he's working a lot in uh, virtual reality there. Okay. Uh, but they brought him back. They brought him back. Um, oh, it says he was also recently at Airbnb, too, mm-hmm. uh, where he was on the creative uh, experimental uh, creative mm-hmm. team, product right. team. Um, but you know, Disney has br- brought him back and this, this is, uh, making me think that, um, they, I think they're starting to turn the ship in the right direction. They yes. see they made some mistakes yes. and they're bringing people back that can bring back old Disney. And what I mean by old Disney is the, is the old, the Disney of old where the Imagineering ruled the day, right? you know, instead of just total IP, IP, let's throw anything. I'm wondering if this is going to have a huge effect on the parks, you know, and if there, we may actually get some some better uh, park experiences out of this. What do you think? I, I think that's the ultimate goal from this. And, you know, Disney Parks uh, Imagineering was kind of at its height with Bruce Vaughn at the helm. And, yeah, I love this decision to bring him back because uh, he even says here, uh, in this article, he quotes himself as saying that he still is at heart a true Imagineer. Mm. And that's what Disney needs right now, especially with the theme parks division, is an Imagineer. Somebody who has a vision, a creative vision for how the parks and the entire creative process should be moving forward. They did not get that with Bob Chapek. With Bob Chapek, they only got dollars and cents. Yeah. Bob Chapek didn't know squat about the creative side, and that's ultimately why Disney's um, executive structure and hierarchy is where it's at right now is because they realized they slid the wrong people in there. They were at the height. It was making tons of money, hand over fist. They brought in money people thinking that was going to keep them high up there, but they found out that the bottom dollar rests with the creativity, not with the the money that's coming out of the bags. So yeah. um, I love this decision, and it'll be really interesting to see where Vaughn goes with this, especially since Disneyland here in California has plans to add its own Pandora-themed uh, little mini theme park version from Avatar, and then they're going to continue their reimagining of California mm. Adventure by adding that whole uh, by building on with like the Pixar Pier stuff, and they're going to add uh, themed restaurants and shops and attractions from like movies like Big Hero Six and Moana. And oh yeah, everything. you're talking the uh, San Francisco. The San Francisco. Yes, thank you very much. Uh-huh. So Vaughn undoubtedly will be at the head of all of that, and yeah. so it'll be fun to see well what matriculates out of this. Here's the thing too, though, you know that, and I think sometimes you know people listen. Disney is especially right now in this in this uh, climate, financial climate. You know, Disney's pretty expensive. Yeah, and you know, I think people are. T- Tired of? I mean, listen. We're gonna get Splash Mountain rethemed in in uh, uh, Florida. It's gonna come. I guess Splash Mountain is gonna be closing in um, probably possibly May of this year here. Yeah, and they're gonna do the retheming. They already do the retheming. The French market's gonna be Tiana's. 
Um, yeah. It seems like, and then and then plus two, like I think in Florida they're doing a Moana water park walkthrough or water yep. some kind of. My point is this: I think people are kind of tired of the IPO, the same old, you know, just kind of retheming of what is there already. They want something new and fresh, and yeah. and that's what I'm hoping that 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 this guy and his team can bring back to Disney is 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 the fresh. You know, it's interesting because a lot of their popular rides, going back to Disneyland, a lot of their popular rides have nothing to do originally with any any uh, with any IP. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think I said IPO before. I meant IP, but anyway, with their IP, um, you know, like Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean, it didn't have a movie. I mean, that was a whole separate. Yep. All yep. the all the all the stuff that's beloved attractions uh, were original. Yeah, exactly. You know, it didn't have all you know wasn't all tied up into Mickey Mouse. So anyway, yeah, I think this is a very interesting and very positive move move for Disney, which is great yep. to see. I don't want to see you know people are talking about Disney's in trouble. They're going to lay off. They're, they had like, uh, they're trying to cut what, 5.5 billion, I think Iger said. Mm-hmm. They're going to lay off a whole ton of people. I think it was 7,000 was the number. They're going to lay off a lot of effects people. They're going to lay off a lot of, um, mainly a lot of clerical staff, office staff that work in their corporate offices um, yeah. and in the movie studio. Well, yeah, they can't well. do it in the parks. They don't even have enough but, people to, to right. take care of the parks right now, enough exactly. uh, cast members. But, um, the point being is that you know I, I I think they're 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 trying hopefully they're trying to do all this to ultimately bring us back to where Disney was and that's good that's what they need to do they need to realize that Disney was not built on financial success it was built on creative success the creative yeah. success is what spawned the uh, financial success yeah and so i think if roy disney who was walt's brother and who was in charge of making money for disney were alive today he would probably say the same thing look we didn't get here by being finance by being fiscally responsible quite the opposite walt disney was fiscally irresponsible when he was making his animated films they Mm -hmm. got there because of the creativity and that's what they need to get back to yeah very true very Mm -hmm. true um, unfortunately, I think I think their uh, their film department needs still needs help though. I don't. Do you, you see the trailer for Peter Pan? I did. What do you think, um, Eric? I wanted to climb up to the top of El Capitan and just do a half gainer <laughs> off the top. I am not. I am not. Looking Were you looking for the crocodile this. clock? You're like, I, where's I that? I really was. Even worse, I was looking for Peter's little scabbard so I could just stab myself and you then know, end I, it right there. I mean, I, I think people. That's the other thing people are tired of. They're tired of of just besides the retheming. Also, is 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 the remaking of all these movies and. and, and you know, unfortunately, Strange World didn't do that well either. That was kind no. of an original, but they really haven't put out. I know Buzz Lightyear was semi-original. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think they're doing a Toy Story 5 now. Uh, yep. And we have a Little Mermaid live-action film to look And Little Mermaid's to. coming out, and that, haven't, that mm-hmm. hasn't gotten a lot of good uh, feedback either. So For some societal-type reasons that we can get into later. But, yeah, but, but, yeah. I, but I think, yeah, unfortunately, you know, hopefully this can really kick off an, a new era at D- Disney where they can get back to the old of, you know, letting, letting the true storytellers and imagineers yeah, I hope so too. Uh, take care of it. Um, hey, you know, we only have, we got a little bit of time here. Yeah, um, yeah. I wanted to hit a story. Uh, we've been actually wanting to talk about this for a long time. It doesn't yeah. have to deal with the uh, the Star Trek universe. Yeah. But you had brought up a story um, a, a while back ago. You had talked to me about it. And I said, no way. This can't mm-hmm. be true. And you're like, no, it really happened. Um, 
there was possibly an Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. uh, connection here. He was going to be in one of the Star Trek movies. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I know I'm kind of throwing it on here. Uh... No, that's okay. So, so yeah, uh, Eddie Murphy uh, revealed a while back that he actually turned down a Star Trek movie role. We all know who Eddie Murphy is. We don't need to get into his uh, resume. But he recently opened up about the possibility of joining the Star Trek universe uh, way back in 1986 when Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, which is affectionately known as The Whale One, uh, came out. The original script included a role meant for Eddie Murphy. Mm. However, as fans will recall, the voyage home is, like I said, the one with the whales, where obviously yeah. the Enterprise crew travels back in time to 1980s Earth to bring whales back to the future to help save them from an alien that's obliterating the Earth's atmosphere, because apparently the whales are the only ones who can talk to this to alien can communicate, probe, yeah. yeah, and have it stop doing what it's doing. But apparently, um, the... Uh, Murphy's role would have been uh, a character not from Star Trek's time, but a college professor from the 20th century who believes in aliens. Professor he, Flubber? Oh, maybe. What was his name? Well, was that the guy's name? Was that the, the name he played? Was it? You're thinking of Robin Williams. He played Flubber. No, didn't didn't Eddie Murphy play? Uh, oh, you're thinking of the Nutty Professor. Oh, the Nutty Professor. That's Sherman what it was. Clump. Sherman, <laughs> Sherman Clump. Sherman Clump. Yes. That's his name. Thanks for ruining my mojo, by the way. So anyway, uh, continuing here, before Eric threw me off track, there, uh, he would have greeted the Enterprise crew and helped them navigate <laughs> the era, the 1980s. Yeah. So he appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And Murphy explained on Jimmy Kimmel's show that if he was going to be in Star Trek, he wanted the whole Star Trek experience. Mm. And apparently that role wasn't it. So now, Eric, I I have to ask you now, because you're always asking me about my opinions on Star Trek. Knowing who Eddie Murphy is, his background and where he comes from, can you even see this guy being in a Star Trek movie and being able to pull it off without his typical laugh and his typical hijinks? I think so. Really? Yeah, because I think okay. I think actually I think Eddie Murphy is, is a very he, he's a good a lot of comedians are good dramatic actors. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jim Carrey. I mean, we see him in a lot of in a lot of uh, drama. Robin, uh, Williams. Robin Williams, of course. Yeah. Yep. Good Will Hunting. Um, I think he would have. I mean, Michael he, Keaton. Michael Keaton. I, I think uh, Eddie Murphy would have been would have been great, and I think he's right. I think if he would have if he would have been able to play a character uh, not. Earth related in modern day, okay. you know, or back then, whatever nineteen eighty, right. whatever that movie came out. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it would have worked. He would have been great. And see, for me, as a loyal, as a longtime diehard Star Trek fan, I just have a hard time seeing him in a Star Trek movie because I'm just so used to seeing him as Axel Foley nah. in the Beverly Hills Cop films, and then seeing him uh, play Reggie Hammond in the Forty Eight Hours films, just being the wisecrack comic who drops about forty f bombs in the <laughs> film, and of course with that wonderful laugh. The, eh, 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 eh. But of course, we all know that he came from the Saturday Night Live background, yeah, which is how he. Uh, started out in the industry. So I just had a hard time. I mean, I found the story interesting because I think it's even interesting that Leonard Nimoy, who directed Star Trek IV, and uh, and Gene Roddenberry would even consider Eddie Murphy because Hmm. he is one of those way out in left field casting decisions, at least for Star Trek fans. It's like he's the last guy you would think would be considered for a role in a Star Trek film. But But... Uh, Star Star Trek is one of those. It's like Star Wars, where it's like mm. everybody wants to get in it. 
You know, everybody True. just wants to have a bit part. True. You know, let me be a stormtrooper. I don't care. Let me be a Klingon. I don't care. Right, right. You know, that would have been interesting. He would have been good if he would have played something that they would have had to maybe alter his appearance, like uh, a Klingon or uh, mm-hmm. I don't even think. In that in that series, they didn't have any Romulans yet, huh? Uh, no. In fact, yeah. the first Romulan we saw uh, in a Star Trek movie was Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, with Romulan Romulan Ambassador Nonclus. And Star Trek fans will mm-hmm. know who I'm talking about. But so, yeah. We'd, and the lat, previously before that, we had only seen the Romulans in the original series. So, uh, And then they came about in the next generation as well. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And I know that Eddie... I'm, I'm, I was trying to, to look up real quick. I know mm-hmm. he's had to have some... some uh, uh, he was in Harlem Nights, right? Harlem that Nights, wasn't yeah. that wasn't uh, so. Uh, that wasn't was that that wasn't like Harlem slapstick Nights. stuff. That was kind of more. Well, he was in it with Richard Pryor, the Nutty Professor. That's right, you said yeah. that. Um, yeah, uh, he did play a lot. There's, I'm looking at the comedies. The comedies, the comedy. Bowfinger was kind of an interesting. Bowfinger was, was stupid. He was in a lot of bad movies. Like you a think lot Bowfinger of bad... was stupid? I thought I... Bowfinger was kind of interesting. Actually, I didn't like Bowfinger. I, I will just... say the Adventures of Pluto Nash was terrible. Oh, I, that was... I actually walked out of the theater on that. That's right. the only movie I think I've ever walked out of the theater. I was like, I, I can't watch this garbage anymore. Okay, see, I walked out on Ishtar. Did you? But, uh, yeah, but that was a long time ago. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through real quick through his filmography. I, I can't, you're right, I can't really see anything offhand that, that yeah. jumps out at me as like, oh yeah, that, that was a good drama. But I, I think he could have done it. And and I think, I, I do have faith that he would have been interesting. I think if he would have played a Klingon or something, you know, some type of uh, a character like that, that would have probably fit a little bit better. Maybe yeah. it would have pulled you out of that hole. It's Eddie Murphy. It's Axel Foley uh, mindset, you know? Yeah, I mean, had he been, had they considered him and had he been cast, maybe he would have done a fantastic job. Who knows? I mean, think about it. You're an actor, and you're like, you know, you're like, okay, I, I want to get on Star Wars. I want to get on Star Trek. I can't wait. You get that call. Yeah. Hey, uh, Eddie, you know, we're, uh, we want to put you in the movie. You know, he's like, oh, hey, great, you know? And then it's like, uh, we right. want you to be uh, a modern-day professor. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? I don't even right? get to shoot a laser gun? What's going on? I mean, I want a well, phaser. Come on. And something else, too, I'm thinking of, I'm trying to even recall if any of the Star Trek series ever had, like, comedians who made the transition to mainstream acting appear on their shows. I guess the closest mm. guy I can think of would be Ed Begley Jr., who appeared in Star Trek Voyager, but I don't really recall Ed Begley Jr. being much of a comedian. I know he's been in a couple of comedies uh, yeah. in his career, but he's never been a comedian per se. That'd so, be interesting. We may have to do. We may have to do that. We may have to do a little yeah. research and find out. Has there been a uh, a comedian uh, play in a uh, a Star Trek movie or know, even TV series? You know maybe? what I'll do, Eric. I will deep dive on that, and okay. then if I find anything, we can discuss it on the next edition. All right. Uh, hey, sounds the good. Whoa, speaking of the queue. Speaking of uh, next edition, yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us. As uh, as always, remember to subscribe, please, and uh, review the show. It always helps us out on the podcasting apps. And so does following us on social media. Follow us on Facebook at Pardon the Intermission and on Twitter at PTI underscore podcast. All right, hey, you guys, take care. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Peace out, and God bless everyone. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now, I want you to go check out one of the other best podcasts around. It's called the No Focus Radio Hour. It has comedy and insight from the greatest minds in the know. And how do I know? Well, because I'm part of that great show also. 
So please go check it out. It's available on all your podcasting apps. The No Focus Radio Hour.